HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food and beverage radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Boys. Guys, what a busy time of year, right? Man, oh man. Jeez. I know. Yeah. Happy happy Dia de los Muertos, everybody. Absolutely. Happy Dia de Muertos. Yeah, and happy multiple, multiple uh, Halloweens. We, I think we had five in a row. <laughs> yeah. Right? When, when exactly. Halloween falls on a Tuesday, it's Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday night. <laughs> yeah. Yep, for sure. Let's do it again tonight. Why not? It's been fun. Yeah, might as well. rolling. Totally. Uh, we'll just keep it rolling. Souther, you've been uh, kind of on the road. I've been on the road uh, yeah. doing some whiskey festivals. You've been, you were at Chartreuse last week. I was. Uh, if I remember correctly, yeah. I mean, tell us quickly about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean I've been, <laughs> listen. Five, six years ago, and I had a blast. Uh, it was a really uh, important trip for me. Uh, not only in my career, but just and like just personally. Uh, I, it, was, it was a very moving trip. So uh, I want to hear what your experience was like. Yeah, man, I'd say the same. You know, it was quite, uh, as you might imagine, as you don't have to imagine, you were there, but as the listener might imagine, kind of, kind of spiritual, you know, this very soft, quiet yeah. monastery. Um, you know, we didn't get to go inside. You know, lay people are not allowed inside, but we walked all around the monastery up on the hill and looked down over it. Um, got to visit the distilleries, talk to uh, the makers. Um, didn't get to see any monks this trip. Uh, apparently the new father superior is a little bit more strict than the former one. So he doesn't uh, allow them, the brothers or the monks to interact with lay people. But <clears throat> I think the real thing that I took away from it is this thing that's going on with chartreuse out there is simply a scare. Um, the way they likened it is it's almost like a bank run. They're making 5% more chartreuse than they made in previous years. And granted 5% doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot of increase. So there is no shortage. What's happening and, and has been happening is we, the people, have been buying and hoarding. So that's creating a shortage that then makes people want to buy and hoard. And then it's a snake that eats itself from there. Um, I think that uh, if we all just calm down and take a beat, we'll realize that there's plenty of chartreuse to go around. Um, and I got to taste a lot of cool stuff. Um, we can get into that at another time. But I, uh, one of the things I got to taste was what's called un chartreuse, which is like sort of the um, original, original, original formula. Uh, and yeah. they only make 120 bottles a year. Uh, so pretty special to even get, you know, a half an ounce of that juice. 
Also, I learned what I didn't know, uh, which is they only make three things. They only make the elixir, the yellow, and the green. Each of the three involves all 130 botanicals, just in different levels. Uh, and then everything they make from there is a blend of those three things. Huh. So like the 1605, the 147, the MLF, which are all releases you can only get over there. Plus, of course, the products that we know, plus the VEP. Um, those are all just blends of those three base things. Pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. One of my big takeaways, Souther, was that, uh, I mean, yes, that as far as chartreuse goes, yes, that that's correct. But also, I didn't know until I went there that they make a genipi. Uh, they make a. Well, a, I brought that back. It's genipi. delicious. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Which I was going to say, you know, to to anyone who's like freaking out about chartreuse and, you know, like, okay, just like branch out a little bit, try genipi, try some other herbal liqueur. Uh, yeah. It's like maybe a little more cost effective. Like, you know, it was kind of like the same thing with. Pappy Van Winkle, like 15 yep. years ago, it was like everyone just started hoarding it because they're like, oh, they don't make a lot of it. And then it's right. like, you know, you just kind of like, we did it to ourselves, you know? So, yeah, we love chartreuse. Uh, yeah, of course. We're starting to see that. I think I, I mentioned on, on another episode, I saw a bottle at retail of the VEP for $1,300. That's insane. Holy shit. Like, Where was that? Ludicrous. Um, uh, I saw it, it was an online retail, so, you know, it wasn't a store I was walking into, but, but the bottom line is they understand that the demand is getting a little bit scary out there so they can press prices, you know, and I'm hopeful that we don't get into a situation with chartreuse, like you mentioned with Pappy or, or just bourbon in general, where we suddenly have, you know, a, sort of, a, a, um, you know, all these third party sellers who are hoarding and selling, uh, just to, to make a buck, but time will tell. But this is, that's a brand yeah, that's been around sure. forever. You know what I mean? Uh, many brands are out there having to kind of reinvent themselves over and over. I think Chartreuse just has to get rediscovered over and over, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds right. Sounds once you've right. been around that, once, once you've been around that long, you've effectively been around forever. That's right. Yeah, we're glad that you're back, so there. So, yeah, like, thank you. Uh, I, I can't wait to see you in person and try some of the stuff you brought back. I'm sure I have a lot oh, of the same stuff uh, at the, the Grand Army Bar, but uh, yeah, I'm back. glad you got to go. <laughs> Good. I brought back my limit. Right, well, and I, I borrowed someone else's suitcase to bring back a little bit more. And and just a side note for me, and next time I see you, Damon, we'll drink this for sure. I bought myself a bottle of Armagnac from my year of birth. Oh, great. Which is, which is, you know, 54 years ago this month. <clears throat> so Nice. Pretty cool. Anyways, uh, Greg, we already heard her charming voice a little bit. Who is in the virtual studio with us today? Well, uh, in the virtual studio with us today for uh, Halloween part, I don't know, six, seven, whatever whatever we're calling it now. Well, more for Dia de los Muertos, I think, right? Dia de los Muertos. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, this is where this is where we uh, where it goes a little south of the border. We get to have some fun with it. Uh, and I'm excited to welcome uh, El Ava Pulkser from... Um, Doma Gate. <laughs> I, did Halloween, I did Halloween part six pretty hard last night, if anyone can't tell. Uh, from Delma Gate, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us, Ava. We're really, really happy uh, to have you in the studio, even if my brain isn't quite processing it yet. No, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I love uh, the longevity of this show and how it's grown. I've um, witnessed it and been a part of it uh, through Southern Damon, of course. Uh, so I'm very happy to be here. And if I may recommend, uh, for those of you that have mezcal in the room, we do indulge in what we call a mezcalito every so often in Oaxaca. You know, a little, little copita in the morning just uh, helps the brain start functioning again after seven Halloweens in a row or whatever. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, with the, with Halloween falling on a Tuesday, does this mean it goes on? Is there, is there Halloween this weekend coming up as well? Like, how many Halloweens we got? <laughs> I don't think so. I think so. Dia de Muertos, we have, of course, and then uh, we just kind of start putting up the Christmas lights and the menorahs uh, yep. and all the other wonderful deep winter holidays that are yeah. Sorry, sorry, Thanksgiving. You've been preempted again this year. So they don't really tried. Thanksgiving. <laughs> they don't have Thanksgiving in Mexico. <laughs> That's uniquely no, us. No, I completely spaced on Thanksgiving. That's very funny. So all of us are in the smooth brain club today. I love it. I mean, it's <laughs> wonderful. Brain. I love some mezcal at Thanksgiving. It's, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it helps soothe the big meal, uh, you know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, digest, mezcal is a digestive. Uh, I carry the torch for that. Same with mezcal as a, a pairing for food. You know, there's um, a complexity and an acid there that functions similar to wine. And so it's great to head next to like fatty, flavorful, meaty dishes um, and many other things too. Yeah, but of course. That's, that's a little... Um, kind of hit for the upcoming giant meal holiday. Right. I've never liked cranberry sauce until I had mezcal on the side of it. Ooh, that sounds lovely. Yeah. I mean, let's real. let's just let's just fold some in, right? Let's make cranberry sauce <laughs> exactly, with mezcal. In it. Yeah. No, it was at it was at Prime Meats about like 15 years ago, uh because what we said our uh we were open on Thanksgiving Day and like I was thinking one year I was like just like what what what's traditional was served with with like a traditional like American Thanksgiving dinner with like turkey and stuffing and all that stuff. And I was just like looking around the back bar and I'm like, I see a bottle of Vita and I'm like, okay, yeah, let's go. Yeah. It's gonna work. And it was amazing. And so I've I mean turkey turkey and mezcal go together. That's pachuga, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah, it can be chicken or iberico, you know, a little hamon in there sure, for months at least. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um Ava, talk to us a little bit about um your your job, like how did you come to be yeah. the position you are with this, this, you know, kind of storied already brand? Yeah. Well, so 30 years ago, Ron Cooper bought this company to the U.S. <laughs> um, I entered more recently, <laughs> about um, nine years ago, actually, at this point. Crazy. But I know it's, it's been a, it's been a journey here too. Um, and it's interesting because I came in at a time where, I became a steward of the brand through its evolution into full ownership entrepreneur card. So as of January, my title is the global education manager. Um, I work directly for Preneur card because now Delmigay is a part of that multinational. Um, but I work on only Delmigay. And so I basically bring uh, the culture of Delmigay, the history of Delmigay from my nine years of uh, managing the East Coast market for the company as an educator, ambassador. Um, you know, we did a lot of things under what at that time was called the WES role. J-U-E-Z is um, the Spanish word for judge. And that's what was on our business card. So I was the East Coast WES. There was a West Coast WES. <laughs> so only five of us. The WES got that riz. Yeah, it was. A, and, you know, this exactly was what the point of having that title was. It was to start the conversation, right? Because Delmagay uh, has always championed the fact that you cannot sell or uh, separate the liquid itself from the culture that it comes from, right? So the culture of the partner-producing families that we continue to work with um, has to be always a part of the conversation of what we're doing on the U.S. side with this liquid and this green bottle. So, you know, if I walk into a place and say I'm Delmagay's East Coast Wes, we immediately talk about what a Wes is and 
in Oaxacan circles and these indigenous communities, the Wes is a position of honor. It is the person who is handed the bottle of mezcal by the producer. And the Wes pours for everyone first, pours for themselves last, and then leads the group in a toast. And this is very um, sort of traditional and ritualistic. And it's the way that mezcal is consumed in these communities. You know, now the way that demand from has grown globally, of course, there's lots of other ways to enter the culture, namely cocktails. Um, that's why we're here today because of one of our newest um, expressions with Roma Day that's geared towards that new to Mescal customer. But, you know, all roads lead back to this center core of the culture, which was a door opened by the Wes title. But now I've moved out of the field, you know, I've uh, moved up in terms of responsibilities and my scope. And so I oversee um, the education program that kind of takes Del Nagay and the way that we teach Mescal global. So we actually have, I think, 15 agave ambassadors globally. So literally Mexico, UK, Australia, New Zealand, Italy, uh, France, these wonderful young people who uh, look after Del Nagay and also the other agave brands within Perno, um, also Sonobion primarily. Um, and so for them to be now stewards of the brand, I am essentially a steward of the education program that they go into their markets with. I mean, that's incredible. And so I, I, I definitely want to ask like what, you know, I mean, you've been with this, with this brand for, for nine years now, which is incredible. And I was I'm just not, kind of, uh, well, well, uh, preemptively. I mean, happy. effectively a third of the life of the company itself. Right. So like you're, you're part of it. We're in our, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost OG, although, you know, there are much more OGs. <laughs> well, we'll give you, we'll, we'll give you the honorary title here. We yeah. can put it next to Wes. I appreciate that. <laughs> but I, I was just thinking back to like where Mezcal was 10 years ago. Well, excuse me, almost nine years ago. And I just remember how it was like blowing up. And it's still kind of, uh, you know, the benchmark of a success story for introducing a new spirit to the market. Like, you know, every every year we see headlines about like, is this going to be this summer's like the next Mezcal? Wasn't the summer of Sherry, guys. It was wrong for the seventh year in a row. But I have a really good feeling about it next year. Yeah. Um, but I, I wonder now that the spirit has gotten so big and gone so far, kind of like where where do you go? It almost feels as if you're kind of at the, you know, Alexander the Great, there are no more worlds to conquer thing. What do you what what does one do to innovate now in the year twenty twenty three when we're talking about Mezcal? Well, that's a huge question, and I'm happy to give my perspective on it, but don't let anyone tell you that they can just give you a tight little package of how to answer that because it is such a complicated, nuanced, fascinating, exciting thing. Um, but there's just a lot going on in the Mescal world and a lot of challenges, a lot of opportunities. Um, one thing I will say that in the U.S., it feels like Mescal is huge. Everyone kind of is aware of it or wants to participate in it, which is so great. Um, but there are many worlds to conquer, <laughs> to take your quote. And conquer is not the right word. We want to sort of sort of bring people along on this journey of Mescal. But um, honestly, the rest of the world is very, very small in terms of consumption of Mescal. Uh, so there are some other markets like the UK, um, 
some parts of Europe, even Australia, where it's just starting to kind of be a part of a, a cocktail landscape. Uh, so there really is a lot of the world that is now just waking up to mescal because of all the reasons. I mean, geography being one, right? U.S. is the biggest market for both tequila and mescal, right next to our neighbors in Mexico. Um, and we're what's called a very mature market. So, you know, where we were, and Damon and Souther, I know you are um, kind of stewards of the mixology movement to some degree. So where the U.S. was 15 years ago, many metropolitan areas around the globe are there now today, right? They're just starting to get into craft cocktails, craft spirits. Um, artisanal spirits of provenance. And so there's a lot more of the story to be told um, across the world. And, you know, we as Del Gay have a pretty amazing and unique perspective on that because of our almost 30 years, right? And because of what we stand for and the platform that we have now being a part of Pernod Ricard. So uh, the acquisition, um, you know, the, the sort of transitional period from when Pernod Ricard bought the majority share of Del Maguey, uh, that was about five or six years ago, was completed by January of this year, which is a typical transition period for this kind of merger. Um, that was the first time that a multinational had invested like this in a traditional brand. And to my knowledge, it really still is unique in that way. Because a company as big as Pernod Ricard, um, you know, if you think about other big players, Diageo, Campari, et cetera, um, generally speaking, uh, commercial spirits, you know, have bigger reach, have bigger volume, probably turn more profit. And so it's generally speaking unusual to see a company choose to invest in something unique like Del Maguey and carry it as a crown jewel. So. Again, there are many sort of unique perspectives that that affords us as Del Maguey, but I would say one of the biggest things is that we carry this responsibility because anything that Del Maguey does and anything Del Maguey has done since its inception in 95 gets followed. Like it becomes a template or a blueprint for how to do business with this kind of spirit or the traditional mezcal specifically. And... Uh, for that reason, that visibility that's just been increased by being a part of Pernod Ricard uh, means that we have to be very intentional with how we bring this story and bring this spirit to the world as it grows and as demand for it grows. Yeah, I would ask, like, with the acquisition and being more more of a global brand, how is that impacting the makers? I know that Del Maguey deals, you know, kind of directly with small makers, small families, and you want to keep that authenticity. How do you yeah. balance that scoreboard? Yeah. And so we still work with the same producers um, and with the addition of uh, the new facility on Ashokopan Puebla. So the short answer in terms of how those producers are impacted is I have a feeling they would say they're happy to have more business. Um, you know, Vita Puebla, which is the new expression that we came out with in April of this year, is a departure from kind of the classic Del Maguey story in many ways. But number one, that spirit is a 40% ABV mezcal. And we have never brought a 40% ABV mezcal uh, to the world. Uh, previously, what we 
recommended to use in cocktails and to kind of be the bridge into the category was Vita, formerly known as Vita. Now it's known as Vita Classico. And I'm bringing that in Southern because, you know, our family in San Luis del Rio, so the head of the family is Marciano, his adult Marcos has joined him in the family business as of many years ago. Um, they have a scaled palenque where they produce Vita Classico. And they actually hit a ceiling of being able to produce artisanally uh, at volume. They really couldn't do any more than what they were already doing without changing the process, which they did not want to do. And that is where the project of Vita, Vita Puebla was born, because we have to meet the global demand to some degree, um, which is growing. We need to work in a facility for that liquid that can be scaled even into the future. And so Ashoka Pan um, presented that opportunity. Steve Olson, uh, of course, a partnership with Pernod Ricard, worked on that project for about two years. And then we finally brought the first bottles to the U.S. Um, it's only launched in one or two other markets around the world uh, this year. And so that facility, so every other Delmagate producer up until now is a family, a farmer family producer, basically um, a palanquero who is upholding a family tradition, right? And that's what we celebrate with the taste of place, the single village concept. Uh, with Ashokopan, it's still a single village concept, but that is an intentionally built facility for Delmagate. So basically it's called Vida Puebla because it takes the building blocks of the production style in San Luis del Rio, which is espadine, um, natural uh, fermentation, um, copper pot stills, and brings it to a modern, we call it like a state-of-the-art palenque. So there are elements that are borrowing from that uh, traditional process, but then there's also modern elements that create um, the opportunity for what I call responsible scaling. So the goal is for that facility to become an actually uh, green certified sustainable operation. We are not there yet. And, you know, I always say that we really need to check ourselves, check our friends and colleagues when we talk about sustainability because of the immense amount of greenwashing in our industry and others as well. So um, again, responsible is the word that I like to use because uh, it is very important to us to be a leader in sustainable mezcal production and volume. And those things are very hot button words in our sector right now for all the, all the right reasons. <laughs> well, that's really awesome to hear. I mean, like you're right. That is, it's a really important part of our business these days to, to produce responsibly, but also to me, mezcal is probably the most important spirit when it comes to that, because it really is about families and tradition and it can really get, uh, and we have seen, unfortunately, uh, a lot of that happening even more recently in the mezcal market. You know, there's like, it seems like there's like a hundred new brands every week, like more brands than, uh, bars that Souther opens every week. Um, mm -hmm. so it's like, it's, it's one of those things. It's, yeah, it's like, how do you, <laughs> I mean, he opens a lot of bars every week. Um, but, not you know, it's, as he should <laughs> how, yeah but like, how do you like monitor and control like the the story and the production it's like it sounds like you're doing it you know i think that's one of the main concerns that a lot of us have um with like modern mezcal production is like keeping it traditional and keeping it you know make keeping it in the hands of the families who have been producing it for you know generations well and therein lies the um the real challenge right there's a tension there between wanting 
a traditional product and wanting to access a beautiful heritage that you don't have in your backyard, um, but also wanting that wherever you are, right? Um, there's a conversation to be had on a different episode about um, global capitalism and really like how do we navigate that when we are stewarding artisanal products of heritage um, into, you know, the hands of global demand. So, you know, to go back to a couple of things you said, one, I'm going to just reframe a little bit that yes, yes, there are tons of miscalls out there, tons now. Um, it is growing almost exponentially in terms of the number of brands you can access. There is, you know, the commercial end of that spectrum is also growing, which can be disappointing for those of us who um, really champion artisanal spirits. Um, but the door has also been open to very small brands um, coming in, you know, even uh, spirits that are not certified under the DO and our Destilado de Agaves, you know, those wouldn't have had a market maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And now you can go to bars and ask for like, you know, something from, for example, Cinco Tequilos. Those are our friends of ours. And some of those producers either don't want to get certified or cannot get certified. You know, so there's there's been opportunity established for both ends of the spectrum. So I think it's important to remember the positive in addition to the complexities that are now present. Um, but going back to... With Del Maguey, our portfolio is huge. I know Southern and Damon, you know this, Greg, you might as well, but we have about 25 expressions and we call all those bottles together a green wall, right? And Vita Puebla is an artisanal mezcal. It is also a, an accessible, approachable mezcal. So it is something that's made for a new to mezcal consumer, but granted made by Steve Olson. So he was like, if we're bringing a 40% mezcal to market, it's going to be the best 40% out there. But for us, like, the goal is not to stop there, you know, like maybe you order, we, we call it a, a twist on a classic, right? A way to kind of introduce a very generic consumer to mezcal, insert mezcal in your usual order. You usually get a gin and tonic, try a mezcal and tonic, you know, do you know normally get, right. let's hope they normally get a Negroni, right? Then you're already not even really your average consumer, but why don't you make it a mezcal Negroni with Vita Puebla? Uh, these days, I mean, you, you yeah. know, Trader Joe's has you a, can get a Negroni at Applebee's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the point is like, once you get that drink though, you don't stop there. We don't want it to be like, cool, you've had the Vita Puebla drink. Congratulations. It's more like, now you've built that bridge. Like we have now what we call the Vita collection. Before it was just Vita Classico. Now we have Vita Puebla, Vita Classico, you know, still made 42% in San Luis del Rio. And then Vita de Muertos, which is basically um, a 45% ABV um, edition of Vita Classico, which also has a different flavor profile okay. because it's uh, related to the holiday. But so now instead of one entry point into what we call the mezcal journey, right? The idea would be like, you have the cocktail, you have um, a little mezcal meat, then you start to get into traditional ABB mezcals, wild varietals. You know, you just keep going um, over the course of however long that takes you personally. But um, instead of just the one Vita Classico, we now have three different options depending on who you are, what kind of drinker you are, where in the world you are. So the, the idea is that it's, a door opener it's a stepping stone into right. understanding well, the culture right and you you kind of hit the nail on the head too you know most consumers these days and for i mean for a long time uh 
as long as we mixed one ingredient with another, I mean, people mostly drink uh, their spirits. They, they discover their spirits through a cocktail, right? So exactly. that was one of the cool things about Vito when it came out. What was it like? 2009? It was literally 2010. And at that time I, yeah. I tell young bartenders and they, I sound like a, you know, like just like spinny old tales, like an old lady, but I love it. Cause I'm like, <laughs> there was a time when no one even knew they were like, what's in this called cocktail, you know, and Vita Classico, formerly known as Vita changed the game. I mean, that totally. was really the, I think the turning point. And you guys knew that at the ground level. Right. It was quality. Absolutely. It was affordable. It was priced to put into cocktails. It was, uh, um, great on its it, own still though. It that's was great that's on its like own. A, mm-hmm. exactly. a really important thing to know. It had all of the, yeah, it, yeah it, I should say has when I'm talking in the past, it has all the hallmarks of, of a good mezcal. It's not, um, uh, it's not as polarizing as many mezcals are, you know, I think, uh, you know, like we have to do a lot of polarizing things in our world. Gin, I think is right in there. Mezcal for sure. Scotches can be in there as well. Uh, and I think that, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Like there's some, uh, greater approachability to this new expression. And, but let's talk about what, what you mean when you say that, what's the, what's not approachable about mezcal and how does it polarize people? So honestly, even Vita Classico is a lot for some people and Vita Puebla, you know, the the kind of people that are interested in mezcal today versus 10 or 15 years ago, just don't really have necessarily a palate for craft spirits at all. You know, they are coming into mezcal because mezcal is enjoying this kind of almost commercial popularity. Um, And so, you know, all all three of us, probably Greg, I don't know you very well yet, but um, you know, we're reaching for the complex stuff, right? Like we've just been drinking crab spirits for a long time. Um, But understanding where that particular consumer is coming from, you know, Vita Puebla, if you put it next to Vita Classico, like all of us would probably reach for Classico because it's got a little bit more structure. It has more of that roasted agave, a little bit of smoke even on it. Um, it's a higher ABV. That two percentage point doesn't sound like a lot, but it, it is meaningful on the palate. And so Vita Puebla is just like literally a soft, lovely, still structured mezcal, has a beautiful um, dry finish, but it's just, it's soft. It's approachable. Those are two words I would use. Um, I also like to kind of call it in my marketing circles. You know, it's like the aperitif for us because yeah. we're used to drinking like 47% as the games. Um, and lots of other things. And so something that's 40% uh, is going to feel very easy, very light. And so that's a big part of it. But the other side is the price point. I mean, we are now looking at a world where commercial mezcal, like we've been calling it the race to the bottom for a really long time with Del Gay, but um, commercial mezcal has really, <laughs> how do I put it? Um, they've achieved a goal unfortunately, which is establishing that mezcal <laughs> can be like not even competitively priced, but like on par with everything else that you might have in a well behind the bar, like a well vodka, well gin and a well whiskey. There are reasons why those can be cheap. Um, it's, you know, it's to me, it's still not applicable to something that's made from a raw material that takes seven years to mature right. and comes from, right. you know, just a very different world, literally and figuratively. figuratively. Um, but that's the world we live in. So one of the things that Del Maguey has yeah. to do now is adapt to that world. Like for a long time, Del Maguey was establishing 
kind of the path of mescal. And now it's so much bigger than that, that we have to adapt um, and continue to protect our market share as well as grow our market share. Um, and in order to do that, we have to consider price point. And Vita Pueblo is not inexpensive, um, but it is competitively priced. And um, Vita Costigo has had to take at least a couple dollar um, price increase in all U.S. markets. In some markets, it's even more like 4 or $5 because uh, of all the reasons that prices go up. I mean, basically, it starts at the raw material, um, but the style of production just can't stay low in terms of what that bottle cost is. And right. so Vita Puebla is meant to um, fulfill kind of that original Vita Classico price point um, and offer something that is, I don't like to say inexpensive, but affordable. Right. No, I mean, I think that's important. I think that, that in our world, I yeah. think it's very easy to, you know, I mean, because, because at, at the point that all of us are like, we get handed this stuff for free. And, you know, we're also in a spot where even if we don't, like, we love this stuff enough that we'll, I, I don't even really look at the prices when I order these things at bars. And I know that, you know, Sutter yeah. and Damon, you don't either. We talk about you that a lot. Behind in my right eye. Yeah, exactly. I, know. I don't, I don't see what's over there. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, whatever I want it. I'll go for it because it's a thing that we're willing to in just the way that we approach the world and in our field, it's a thing that we're willing to spend on and know that this costs what it costs and I'm not going to get butthurt about it. But I think it's important to also know that if this is a category that you want to keep growing and keep introducing to consumers, that that's, uh, you know, you ha do have to be conscientious of the fact that not everyone approaches their drinks that way. Yeah. And that's, again, like, it's like starting off the conversation of like, okay, we're meeting you where you are. This is our hand yeah. extended. And then, again, the goal is for people to go on this journey, like start understanding the why behind the, how many bottles we have, like the infinite, um, you know, flavor profiles you can access with this spirit category. And then the why behind why it's expensive uh, as you move into smaller batch um, production. Well, when, I was going to say that, like, you know, you just said about five minutes ago, you said something about how, uh, understanding the consumer and what they're looking for. But it's also like understanding the people who make this stuff, too, because like like it was like maybe two weeks before COVID hit. Southern and I went on a trip to Mez, uh, Mezcal yeah. land, you know, because we were we were not just it's in Oaxaca, like Disneyland. Kind of like, yeah, exactly. We 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 kind of toured all around the area and it was amazing and it was really I mean, to kind of like pull, bring this full circle from what you're talking about with chartreuse, it's like a spiritual journey, you know, mm -hmm. and like understanding, yeah. going to the Palinques and hanging out with the families and like working like a little bit of production with them and just like understanding like how it's made and like the kind of like modesty of, of production and facilities, but also just understanding how much passion goes into it. It's like, it's, it's a two way street, right? You've got a, you've got the consumer trying to understand what their wants and needs are, but then also they really, I mean, the magic really happens when they understand what the product is all about. And to me, like yeah. Delman Gay has always been, I mean, like I, I'm from the Southwest. I I've known Mr. Cooper for a very, very long time. And I've heard some really great stories. Uh, we've shared some good ones and I spent a lot of time I'm in sure. Santa Fe my whole life. And, and I, you know, it's, he's been an artist there forever. And uh, I heard a really good one about, 
the kind of advent of the Iberico uh, mezcal. Uh, when uh, when he hid from the FedEx guy, yeah, that's a good story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I would have done the same. Uh, we're cut from the same cloth for sure. But um, but you know, it, it, and it takes someone that's passionate about it. Let's. I mean, like we've talked a lot about the the some of the brands or, or some of the labels rather. Uh, you know, we talked about the Vita Clasco and the Vita Puebla. I, and I, I have the bottle of Puebla at home. I, it's awesome. Uh, I, I was really happy. I mean, I got a, the email about it. Like, I don't know if that feels like six months ago and then it finally yeah. showed up in the mail and I was like, yes, all right. Um, but, uh, you know, some like the Chichicapa was like one of the first, one of the first Delmagues I ever had. And it like blew me away. And especially, you know, like, like when we went on that trip, I mean, I, you know, you, you hear about um, Espedina Barrio and maybe Araquino and some of these other varietals of agave, but it's like, you should, man, I just, I think that if, if those people who are interested in, in mezcal, it's like, there's, you know, when you say listening to the customer and seeing what they want, it's like, they need to, they should go out and, you know, go find the green wall and try a few of them, you know? And, there's going to yeah. be something there for everyone. I mean, every everyone is a mezcal drinker. They if they don't know it yet, you know, right? And that's just. Kind I of love what you just said there. I, I agree with you that everyone is a mezcal. It's like saying you don't like music. Like you like mezcal, you just haven't had the right. one that you like. Right. You know? <laughs> exactly. yeah, those guys um, in Times the, Square. You like comedy? You like to laugh? No, no, <laughs> who, 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 who absolutely not. Like, how could you say no to that? But yeah, there is really something for everyone at this point, especially. Um, but to your point, I mean. Uh, Chichi Kappa has been in the U.S. since the 90s, like literally one of the yeah. first two bottles of Delmade that came here. And it's kind of, it's really interesting to think about the kind of evolution of where we are now, where now we're kind of going out and saying, we get it, you know, but like, come, come along on this ride with us. And uh, that can be a very exciting place. Like when we first launched Vita Pebble in April, we did what's called a blitz. I'm sure you guys know what that is, but in case some of your listeners don't, um, the team gets together in certain big markets and just kind of goes out uh, over the course of two or three days to educate and sell the bottle um, and introduce it. And we met with a lot of bartenders, um, you know, and us like those of us on Del Miguel who've been with the brand for a while, you know, we're all from bartending backgrounds, but we bartended like 10 years ago, right? So now this new generation of bartenders, we were like, huh, like, I wonder if they're going to be um, interested in Vita Puebla uh, because Vita Classico is so beloved. You know, we all know all the great reasons why we love that bottle. And it was really interesting because there's been a sea change, it seems, in the trade community where the pandemic had a lot to do with it, but there's just a lot of like young people who are truly new to craft cocktails and you know very enthusiastic but there doesn't seem to be um just like a huge amount of mentorship happening right now behind the bar and so they're figuring it out but their palates are still getting acclimated to really um, more challenging spirits and a lot of them were like you know what i actually prefer vita puebla this is really good to vita classico and i was like it's so cool to think about how these bartenders are really that yeah but like they're almost a consumer that Vita Puebla is made for you know the idea of like because they're looking at teacher and being like oh that's you know there's an intimidation if you don't know what it is also like 46 percent and it's a complex high acid unaged spirit you know so 
we did hear a lot of like, oh, I don't really drink a lot of mezcal. I don't really drink mezcal. And they tried Vita Puebla and it opened the door. Like I, I had this great, just like a quick story because I'm obsessed with it because there was one uh, bar that we went to. I was, um, I went in there with a sales rep and uh, there was three women like three magi <laughs> but there was one who was like a total agave nerd she was like our people the manager had was aware of agave and had a good um vocabulary around it but didn't necessarily drink it all the time and then there was a very new young woman who had just started bartending um there and she was like in age and in experience much farther behind all super lovely people and the young woman was like oh i don't drink myself it's too smoky. I don't like it. So she tried Vita Puebla and was like, huh, maybe I can like myself. And you know me, I ended up, it was like a Vita Puebla visit, but I had like six other bottles with me that I requested from the distributor. And one of them was like Cobola and Aroqueño. So we went in some pretty deep territory, but this girl, Vita Puebla opened the door for her. And by the end, she was like, you know what? Aroqueño was my favorite. That's an amazing mezcal. <laughs> and this happened in cool. one tasting. I was just like, that's what should happen. That's what this whole thing is about. Yeah, I think we encourage people. Like, Arroqueño, just a quick note. Aroqueño is 49%. You know, a more rare varietal. It's distilled in clay. Del Medeza Aroqueño is a clay still distillation. So it's just super high acid, minerally, lots of things going on in there. And it's very hot. It's just not a beginner mezcal. Yeah, no. <laughs> just to contextualize that. I mean, I think what we do at the bars, what I encourage my teams to do, of course, is is to do exactly what you're talking about with our consumer as often as we can. Of course, you know, you can't get to every single person when, when the heat is on and we're busy. But we want to show you stuff. We want to. And showing you stuff doesn't mean giving you a taste of one thing. Showing you stuff means giving you a few things at a time. So you have a comparison, you know, you have a, a, you know, a sort of a litmus in front of you and you can compare and contrast. Um, And I think that that's what really, truly, as you have said, opens the doors. Uh, And especially as uh, mentioned, you have the green wall. If you can go to a place that carries many of your expressions, then you can really walk someone through, through, you guide them. You, You can be their sort of guide and Sherpa them through this experience of, of, of mezcal i cracked open my bottle i'm the only one who's smart enough to bring my bottle to the, to the virtual studio today i was i was evicted <laughs> so I, I don't know about public drinking in princeton they would be on me very quickly yes yeah, um, but i'm i'm with yeah. you in spirit in spirit yes <laughs> but we, we, we should note we should note eva's coming to us from a, a park bench you're sitting literally outside in princeton uh bundled <laughs> up because it's kind of chilly out there because you got evicted from the room yeah. you're in uh, that you're planning to do the podcast yeah. from you didn't know that yeah. you had to reserve the room <laughs> Um, that's fine. It's uh, going well here, guys. Listen, real well. listen it's, a, it's a brand new <laughs> month. Here Happy we go. Halloween, everyone. You know, we're, yeah, we're moving into <laughs> holiday territory. But I'm smelling this one right out of the bottle. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned earlier, and maybe that is what stuck it in my head, but my first, um, you know, smell of it, and this is the first spirit I've smelled this morning other than my typical Underberg, um, it, it kind of gave me a wine vibe smelling right from the bottle yeah. right when i pulled the cork oh i love that when i pulled the cork and smelled it from the bottle itself it kind of was like oh this kind of has a wine vibe and i drank a lot of wine while i was in france and and so like you mentioned you know mezcal with food and, and so maybe that's all on my mind as well what, what's it's in my glass my tiny yari you ever see these tiny yari it costs mm-hmm. it costs, adorable. It costs twice as much as an actual yari <laughs> <laughs> i use them in like videos and stuff um so I'm sipping from one of those. And uh, yeah, talk to me about what's going on in this bottle and what makes it different and special from the um, from the Puebla, uh, sorry, from the Vida Classico now. 
Yeah. Well, so, I mean, first of all, we're in a different state, right? So Vita Puebla, I'm sorry, Vita Casa both made in San Luis del Rio in Oaxaca. Mm-hmm. So we're now across the border in Ashokopan, Puebla. So it's at the base of um, a volcano that is called Popo for short. Uh, Popo, it's very difficult to pronounce for me, at least <laughs> the full name. There's a lot of consonants, but the locals call it Popo. And uh, so it's like just a different terroir. Um, but I would say that there is intention behind the flavor profile in a way that does not happen when we look at um, mezcal made in a palenque, in a family palenque based on family traditions. And so this is meant to be, to have complexity. So what you're smelling, and I like the idea of like, I was like, okay, why would there be a wine vibe? Like one of the notes that we pick up on is actually stone fruit. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, one of like the official tasting notes that we um, distill down to <laughs> is white peach. Mm-hmm. And if I think about like beautiful French wines, I mean, especially white wines, I don't know what you were drinking, but stone fruits tend to be a part of that flavor profile. And so that like brightness, that fruitiness um, is definitely there. But, you know, the hallmark of like what roasted agave tastes like is like there's a little bit of vegetal and there's a little bit of tropical fruit. And together they create, if you like were able to eat a piece of roasted agave or smell roasted agave, like at the palenque, which you guys have, um, that's how we can describe it for those people who've never been around that particular raw ingredient. And so I would say that there is a little bit of green quality there, but again, it's very soft. Like we have flavor profiles in the portfolio that are super herbaceous, super herbal or super like bell peppery. That's not happening here, but the way we call it is candied pine. So I love that flavor note, which actually came from Jen, who is our former West Coast Wes and now is officially a brand investor under Pernod Ricard based in LA. Uh, she's got an amazing palette as all of our team does, but um, her note of candied pine, I think is really lovely because there is like That's a cool. sweetness to it, but it's balanced by literally a little bit of pineiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Souther, as you took your sips, um, you'll notice like, Great mezcal, artisanal to traditional, has balance. It has acid. It never just like dissipates on the end. You wanted to have like a little bit of length at least. And that was a really important piece for us. And so I think we've been successful with dialing that in with this flavor profile. Like you don't get aggressive acid. You know, again, we want it to be gentle, but um, it does travel along the palate, which for a 40% mezcal, you know, that's what we consider making it the best. 40% 40% mezcal, that's Yeah, I mean, it's very easy drinking. I think uh, uh, I wasn't getting white peach as much as when I spilled directly from the bottle, you know, just up through the neck. I was getting um, apricot is what, what first jumped to my mind. Uh, but then once it's in the glass, it opens up a bit and I can smell the minerality, a little bit of, uh, of that sort of roastiness. Um, it does linger quite a bit longer than I expected it to at, at this lower proof. Um, yeah. It's delicious. And uh, I think, yeah, I definitely want to have it with... Um, food <laughs> i want to i want to have some i want to have some food um it is lunchtime it's really it is it's like an imperative you're doing it right um but yeah one thing i want to call out too is like even vita classico you know i don't think that smoke on the skull is really real there's like some roasty qualities it should be in harmony with so many other things but this especially like we know that the that consumer who thinks that mezcal is not for them or thinks they don't like mezcal have internalized this idea that mezcal equals smoke. And so with this, there's a demonstration that, you know, smoke is not 
necessarily at all a part of conversation, right? I'm guessing that you're not getting any smoke no. off of this at all. No. Yeah. Uh, not really. So I, I love that about it. And that piney note that you mentioned does make this sound like it would be delightful with tonic, right? Mezcal and tonic sounds like the way mezcal to go. Mezcal tonic or mezcal and ginger too, you know, sure. like converting someone from a Moscow mule to a mezcal mule can happen really easily with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely. Mezcal and tonic is so easy. It's like you go to any bar and they can do that for you. So right. it's yeah. just like, there's your bridge. Um. Man, I mean, I'm so happy to have you back on the show. So happy to, to be tasting this. Too, too bad the fellas didn't bring their bottle. But you have them back at home, right? So you'll, you'll get, yeah, you'll get to taste them. Um, get back to it. Yeah. You know, another great, <laughs> another great addition to the back bar uh, that we can, you know, use to again coax people down that road. You know, I have a bar, a area that's all tequila and mezcal, and um, it's mostly tequila because that's the easier entryway. But the people who come there who are interested and they climb that ladder with us, or we take them on that journey, or whatever we way we want to put it. Like this is another easy, as you said earlier in the show, stepping stone to show them what uh, what what mezcal can be. So I appreciate it being out there. Uh, I'm already a fan. Thank one, you. one 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 little copita's worth in, and I'm already a fan. <laughs> I love that. So that means a lot coming from you. Thank you, and I I'm really glad you were able to taste it today. Um, I look forward to drinking some with you in person whenever we can make that happen. Yeah, maybe well, maybe you could the come next time we run into each other at Bar Goto. <laughs> sure, or you could come do an, an education uh, at the bar or something. Um, get, I would love that. My, let's let's chat about that. Get my team yeah. on board. Um, well, guys, unless you have anything else for Eva, I think we got to let her go. Uh, she's busy. We're busy. We've all got stuff to do. Um, anything more, <laughs> gents? Um, I just want to say thanks for being on the show. It's been a while since we've chatted, and I miss yeah. you. It's great to see you on this uh, this video feed. But uh, you know, to echo what you're saying, for can't wait to see you in person next time I'm out uh, on the East Coast. Yeah, or I'm out west. One of the one of the two. Or that, or that. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you all so much. Yeah, I can't wait to again yeah. make some food with this and uh, maybe use some of my 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 desert curse hot sauce, which includes uh, habanero, pineapple, and mezcal, which is coming out soon. Um, Ooh, yeah, I'm, okay. Yeah, I'm making a hot sauce, lady. Uh, yeah, you are. <laughs> Give me some. <laughs> um. All right, guys. Well, that's it for this episode of the Speakeasy. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, head over to heritageradionetwork.org. Click on the beating heart and donate to keep shows just like ours on the air. Uh, and Ava, thanks so much for being with us. And oh, real quickly, we forgot. Um, or I forgot. Um, where can people follow along with your hijinks? Uh, what's your Instagram handle and, and where can we? My hijinks. Yeah. So it's my last name. First of all, down the game itself for sure. And you'll find me through that because I repost my stories a lot. But uh, my handle is Mescalter. So it's a combination of Mescal and my last name. There's like several Z's and C's in there. So I would <laughs> recommend that once you guys post about this episode and tag me, okay. your listeners can just hit that because spelling it out here and now is just not going to go well, I think, for anyone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, Skelser for Ava Pelzer. I love it. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again. We loved having you on and uh, we look forward to, uh, you know, drinking some uh, Vita with you out of little Copitas. Uh, and in context. Yeah, I can't wait. It's about time. And thank you again. I really appreciate the time and the excellent questions. You got it. Steegy. Steegy Bayo. So you don't shun the devil with your The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. <laughs>